0: Um, For those who've never met me, my name is Neil Townsend, I have the privilege of leading the Open Gate group of churches, which is a group of five churches, one in Wantage, one in Abingdon, one in Digcote, one in Swindon, and one in Henley, Um, uh, and we also have, I think, invited, well, we have invited Glendale Church in uh, Newbury and Ridgeway in Wallingford and Digcote, and I'm sure there's a wonderful combination of all sorts of people from all sorts of those churches, so if you look around and you think, I don't know everybody here, a great opportunity to meet some more people, or if you're a high introvert, just to smile at them from a distance. Both are okay. It's fine. Um, it's my privilege to, to, to welcome everyone here tonight. Um, I thought about doing a beauty parade of all the church leaders, so everyone knew who they were, and I decided that would take too long. So, you know, you'll run into some church leaders. They'll introduce themselves as they do things as the week, weekend goes on, but it's going to be an amazing time. I don't know exactly the details of what God is going to do, but this I know. Our lives and our churches will be transformed by the power of God for the better. And because of that, our communities will be transformed by the power of God for the better. As we have invested our time, and I want to thank everyone who's given up time to be here, because that is an investment, and God will honor that and bring about transformation. I have no doubt that in months and years we will still hear stories of lives that are living the kingdom of God more because of this weekend. I have no doubt of that, it will happen. That's just how God works. Um, So without further ado, um, I want to invite Peter. Now I never know how to say his surname because everyone says Rees, but where I grew up in Belgium it would have been said Reis. So is it Reis? I thought it might be. Peter, come on up. This is Peter. Um, There's a long story as to how Peter got involved here, so we won't tell all of it, but we're delighted to welcome you. Um, And we want to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit, and we invite you to come and impart to us everything that God has given you to share with us. So be blessed, go for it, and I'm already loving you, even though I've only just met you. Thanks.
1: This evening I want to talk about one of the most important things that I ever did in my life. And I've been talking about this topic in many places of the world. It's about our King, it's about Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. and. To to memorize that together, and to contemplate it, what he did. This is the topic of tonight's preaching. Now Jesus had a lot of disciples, but there were a few of them that were very precious to him, if we read the book of the, the Gospels, and one of them was the Apostle John. So John the Apostle in the beginning of the 2nd century wrote letters to the church. And one of the letters is the, the, his first letter, and we read in chapter 4, verse 18, these verses. 1 John 4, verse 18. He says... But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. I was wondering, I mean... John was uh, part of his life in prison in, in Patmos and then he ended his life in Ephesus. And he was with the mother of Jesus, a big part of his, uh, his life. He was one of the youngest apostles in the, in the time that Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. So most of his life he was with Mary because Jesus from the cross spoke to him Son, to see your mother mother, see your son. Which was a very important statement in those times, because actually what Jesus was was giving the responsibility to to his oldest brother. And this is a very important thing. So, at the first, at the beginning of the second century, John's circumstances were not easy at all. The circumstances of the of the uh, christians were not easy at all it was a time that the roman um, uh, leaders wanted to glorify themselves so there was there was an emperor cultus and christians were always on the on the edge of being um, persecuted and killed because they could never accept the worship of the emperor so John is living there in, in Ephesus. Actually in his time also the, f- the fathers of the church were there. The, those were his disciples. So it was a v- the context of this letter that he writes is actually to encourage the church not to give up. Not to be afraid in the midst of persecution. And not to, to waver in faith because he says... But love that is perfect drives out all fear. When somebody walks into my um, practice, I'm a doctor, by the way, and he starts talking to me about perfect love, I scratch behind my ear. Because I wonder, is is he standing with his feet on the ground? I mean, we know about love, but we also know about things that are sort of colouring our, our possibility to love with all kinds of selfishness and other sins so what is that perfect love and that's why for the church and for you and me it's important to to one moment try to look at jesus through the eyes of the apostle john Because he saw something, even in the beginning of his young young ministry life as a young apostle, he saw things and he saw something that he had never forgotten. When he speaks about perfect love, it's not just uh, that he uses nice words, but he testifies about the things that he has seen that were a reality in front of his eyes. When he came to know Jesus, he was just the son of a fisherman. He was a raw person. Jesus called him the son of thunder. He was full of, of, of ambition. He even asked Jesus if you could sit on his right hand one day. That was John. He was not perfect at all. He was actually a sinner. And he knew that he was one. But then grace came upon him. And Jesus took him and, and changed his life in the years that he walked with Jesus. In an amazing way. One of the things that he did. That he took him to his most private time of fellowship with his father. And, G- and, and John witnessed the glory of God. Shining from the eyes and the light of, of, uh, of Jesus' face. That's why in his gospel he says we have seen the glory of and we saw the glory manifested in the flesh because the word has become flesh and we have touched it because we so that was what he had witnessed as a fact it was a real reality memory that he saw in jesus he was Looking at Jesus and walking with him where crowds were running to Jesus and being attracted to his miracle ministry. He was there when the blind girl was, was the, 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 the dead girl was raised from the dead. In the synagogue. He was there when the blind people started seeing. He was there when lame people started walking. He was so impressed with all the things he thought that even when he was walking in his ministry after the raising of Christ, he had a healing ministry. And he healed the lame. But what impressed him the most, I believe, is that he was the only one of the apostles that was there when Jesus was hanging on the cross which was quite scary to do because doing that could make him the victim of the Romans, him also being crucified. But he was there. He was not able not to do it. He was so attracted by the love of God manifested in our Savior that he was there. And he could not let him go. He was there. Until the very end, and he was the apostle that saw the last breath of Christ. he saw it. you know, as a doctor, I come in many uh, people 's houses where people die and are sick of course that's my my profession and then I know about the intimate atmosphere of What's happening when persons are very sick or terminal ill? It's amazing that, as a as a as a stranger, but being a doctor, you can become part of this intimate atmosphere that happens between children and fathers and mothers, and that for a moment or a, one day you are part of that. You are moving very gently amidst the people that love the person that is there. So I always say to uh, people that have had a, a, a bad, um, a bad um, report from the doctor now, and I said now your quality time starts. Because I found that people being together for 40 years, they walk together But then when one of them becomes sick, the quality time of closeness starts. And in one day, you happen to have more relation than sometimes for a whole year. So that's why when I'm in the closeness of a a dying home, I sense in my heart love, real love, real connection between people. And I'm an outsider but i'm also an insider. And this is what happened when John the apostle stood before the cross. Because he came into that intimate moment when Jesus was there all alone. His mom standing there, his he standing there and Jesus feeling left by everybody else and being despised and his father also where are you father? And there was John. And I think it broke his heart. He saw that Jesus' heart broke on the cross. But it broke his heart. And he, had nev- he never had been the same. He never could be the, the old, courageous, ambitious guy anymore because his heart had broken when he saw Jesus' his best friend die on the cross. So when he speaks on perfect love, he speaks about something that is in in his heart, that he has experienced on the cross, that he has seen on the cross. When I was a young man, I'm now 67, when I was 21 years old, I was a student, and uh, actually quite a rebellious student. I was walking around with uh, leather boots, long hair, scaring my surroundings, especially scaring my teachers at the university. But that was me, I mean, I was a a guy looking for answers, looking for the truth, that was me. I was in a search for reality, I was in a search for a foundation. Six years I had been searching intensely to understand why do I exist? What is the reason that we are all here? What is our destiny? Why, what, 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 what is our, what should we do, you know? Well, you may say these are the, the typical questions that all teenagers have, and this is, it is so, but it's also that I was, it, 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 it obsessed me, it was, it took all my energy. So I left my medical studies, I started studying philosophy and I was more and more in the depth of being feeling lost and not knowing what to go, where to go and how to find answers. Now I, have a very, I had a very good father and he was very warm and, and, and helpful. I met one of his students one day and... Um, He said, you know, you are the son of Mr. Rice. He was my teacher there and there. Uh, Yeah, that's true. I'm his son. And then he shared something that my father never told me, but one day he was sitting in his classroom making a project, and then my father was sitting in the front crying. So he walked to my father, he said, and asked him, why do you cry, sir? Because of me. Because of my my crisis, I couldn't find a way to live. And it wasn't, I was in a very dangerous situation at that time, involved in very extreme, radical things. Now, this student was part of, an, of a student organization that prayed. And they decided to pray over me while they didn't know me. Well, that is love, isn't it? But they decided together to make me uh, one of their topics on prayer. And within a month, I had a I had a, a vision in the night, in where, where I saw the, the the cross. It happened at about three or three in the night. It was a real supernatural visitation of God in my room, as a student. Who is this man I see on the cross? But I saw him. I looked at him and then I felt the, what was pushing on my shoulders, the heaviness and the darkness and the, and the fear being lifted up. Next morning I woke up as a completely different person, but then I was questioning myself, who is this man? What did I experience? What happened? So after that, I started reading the Bible. So for most of the people, they start reading the Bible and then they have a revelation of Christ. But I had a vision and then I started reading the Bible. That's why my speaking on the cross is not only a theological theme that I like very much, but it's actually the beginning of my life with Jesus. That means that When I say precious love or perfect love, it is something that I did experience, in fact, in that moment. You know, when I have a patient from who I know that he should do an operation of the heart, I talk to him, of course, and because I'm not a cardiologist but I still talk to my patients because I'm a GP. And what people want to know is how how certain is it that I will get out of this okay? Is he good? Do you know if he is good, that specialist, do you know that he is the right one? How does it happen? What does he do? So what we, as, as people want to know, de facto is, what do I step in and what is happening when I lay myself on the table and the anesthesia comes and makes me asleep, and I'm operated. Right? I mean, you always also want to know when you, you ask the plumber to come in your house, right? That he doesn't make a mess of your house. Very simple, so a heart operation is even more than that. If something goes wrong, you know you're in big trouble. I have the idea that one day there was a conversation in heaven b- between the father and the son. And they were looking at a world lost in darkness and sin and, and fear and, and uh, pain. pain and they were contemplating a heart operation. Something that would have to be done in a definite way that would never be able to neglect it, it would be a fact. Are you sure, Father, that when this happens uh, all the sins will be put on my shoulder that I will raise from the dead. He, I think he, he had a conversation like that, I think. I try to imagine, you know. But he knew, Jesus knew, when he came to the world, this was the reason to come. To, to do something like a surgical thing in, 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 the, in, the, in the heavenlies and the, the, the reality of spirit and, and, and man that would definitely take care of the problem of, of man's enmity against God. Because he knew there's no other way to change the heart of man. He knew that. When people walk out of my um, my, my practice, they, they sometimes I, I give them a paper with a prescription, right? And they know that Well, my doctor won't fool me, because he is my doctor for 25 more years. He knows what he is doing. He gives me the right prescription, the right medicine that will heal me from my disease. So what God did on Calvary, that he for once and for all, Lay the foundation for the renewal, complete renewal of our lives. That's what he did. And then you may see the the cross, and you wonder what happened there that it really can renew my life. What happened? And why am I so attracted to that person on the cross? Why? Where is it? How is it possible? Bible is, we read the words of the apostle, he says, The blood of Christ speaks better than the, the blood of Abel. He speaks, it speaks to us. It spoke to the Apostle John when he was watching Jesus Christ die. It spoke to him, let him understand that this is about compassion and love for me as a sinner. He saw it. I wondered as a doctor, if I give you a prescription, I say, if you take that, this will do with you, help help with you. The people believe me. And if I speak the word of God, I say, if you come to the cross, you will experience that your sins are forgiven and your sickness are healed. I can give prescriptions like that. The question is, do you, have, do you believe? Is a, uh, there was, a, well, there was a one day and moment that I was thinking, why is there life in the blood? Because the Bible said there is life in the blood of Jesus. In ancient times, when somebody, something an, an, an animal died, what did they see as proof that it was really dead? Because the blood was shed. Nowadays, if I want to have secure measurement of somebody dying. I have an EEG and an ECG and all kinds of methods to, to definitely say this person has died. But in those days, shed blood was the proof of death really happening. So when the, uh, the Roman soldiers standing around Jesus were wondering before breaking his bones, is he really dead? What did they do? They, put a spear in his side, and we read in the scripture that blood and water came out of it. That was proof. Proof that he really died. So it's a fact that he really died. And the fact that he really died is the, the testimony against uh, to, towards God that sin had had his course. And the power of sin is is lost. Because the power of sin is dying, killing people. And what God did when he he gave his son on the cross, he just let sin come. In in the Apostle, apostle Peter says that in Christ, all our sins were brought in his body on the cross. So it's a fact that you and my sins whatever you've done whatever you will still done were put on the cross of Jesus and because he died the power of that sin has gone. That's a fact. So Seth John witnessed that But that was not the end. But because he also witnessed Jesus' resurrection. And walked with him on a daily basis. So the beautiful thing is that our king shed his blood on the cross. That he proved by doing that he died. And because he died for your and my sin, we now know that we have, have a new start in him. In uh, Isaiah 53, we we'll read these words talking about the same cross. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our, sor- our sorrows. The punishment of brothers' peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. I've come to realize that the promise to be saved by the blood of Christ is the same promise as to be healed by the power of God. Redemption on the cross is not only the, the saving of your soul, but it's also the saving of your body. To be saved in the Bible is not only being saved from your sin, but also be healed when this woman touched the garment of Jesus during his traveling around in, the, in Galilea and Samaria and she got healed from this women's issue by doing that. Jesus says to her, daughter, your, your faith has saved you. But actually she was healed. The same faith that looks to the cross for redemption of the soul is the same faith that looks to the cross for redemption of the body it's the same god the same love i started realizing this myself in the first years of my practice because I had a personal issue uh, that should be healed, which actually hindered me from doing my work as a doctor. I was um, very bad in my hearing on one side, because of chronic infection. I could not actually hear with a stethoscope on two sides. So, what should I do? I felt I had a call for the medical work. But I was talking to God, I said, God, please help me. Because I need two ears to fulfill this. And then the God spoke to me in my heart. And he said, we, you have to ask forgiveness. I said, well, I was thinking, OK, that's OK. But what, what did I do wrong, you know? And then he showed me that in my teenage years, in my rebellious time, I had neglected my own body very, very heavily. And I said, "Yes, you are right. I have neglected my own body. So please, God, forgive me for, for that behavior." And immediately after saying that, I felt something happen in my ear. I went to the specialist. They made an audiogram, and it was perfect. So now I had two ears. Now I knew I. Oh, now I really have to be a doctor. I cannot go retreat. I need. You have to go on. You know. Because now he has given me two years, <laughs> And during those years of, um, of working very, very hard, I mean, uh, you have hard work, I had very hard work. I was always thinking about this, this healing ministry and, and praying, God, show me how you do it. Because I love my patients. But I still didn't get to understand how it worked. That wasn't training for years. The next step in my training was that one of my children had pneumonia. He was very sick. We were on holiday. Well, I always have my stethoscope with me and I think, well, what is wrong with my son? He is breathing so fast and he is lacking. I saw his breathing. It was not easy. I listened with my stethoscope. He had high fever. I said, yeah, you have pneumonia. So I said, well, today we go back home, because we were not in Holland. Because it's a golden rule that a doctor doesn't treat his own children, right? My wife sometimes is a bit stubborn, and she said, well, how about you just give me a prescription, I get it at the local pharmacy, and we'll see what happens. We can always go tomorrow to the doctor in Holland. Do you have that kind of conversations in the house? (laughs) These are the nice disagreements. So I agreed to do that, and uh, so I wrote the prescription. So she went off to see the pharmacy. Somewhere there in that country, I don't know where. Now I was sitting at home with my sick child and my other boy, who was two years older. and I was contemplating my Bible and what I had been reading about healing and, and with no experience at all, I was thinking, how can I, I mean, can my God that heal, heal my ear not also heal my son? But you know, I didn't have so much faith and I thought, well, I have the solution because I had another son and I said, well, I'll ask my son to lay his hands on his brother and let him pray for healing. Because I believe that when a child prays to God, he will heal, he will heal, you know. So much for my faith. So I said to my oldest son, he was also six or something, now you lay your hand on your brother, jo- Johan, and you say these words after me. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke this pneumonia, and I, I release healing in, your, in this little boy. Your, bro- your brother, your brother. So he was there. He got from his he was playing. So he got from his playing and he put his hand on my other on his brother and he said, In the name of Jesus, I rebuked this Plamelia and now let healing come. And off he went to his play playground again. And I was thinking, how, how, ho, were you going? Because I had experienced something happening and he would stay there for a while and you know that was my whole religious idea about healing. But nothing from that. So what should I do? So I put my hand on myself, and you know I got this stubbornness in my spirit. I am not going to to let God go. I I keep my hand on Him until He shows that He heals. Him. That's what I, that was the aggressiveness in my heart. And that's what I did. So I put my hand on my son, who was still very ill. And I, 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 in my inner being, I, I was pressing on onto God. And it took a long time, and I still pressed on. And it took more time, and I still pressed on. I keep pressing on because I wanted that God did what I had been reading in his word. And after 30 minutes, I felt in my spirit that a wolf came down. That's really how it felt. I didn't see a wall, but I felt in my spirit a wolf came down. And then, soon, I could Easily feel it with my whole hands. The heat of God's presence came into the boy. It just came down like that. Perfect love being revealed. So strong, so full of intense heat and love. And I looked at myself and now being overcome by all this it took me some time and now I got to my feet again and I looked to my son with the eyes of a doctor I took my stethoscope and I listened to his breathing and I did not hear anything of the sounds that I had heard one hour before and then um, the fever went down and then he got up and he was completely healed. So we were sitting on the table. Then my wife came with the box from the pharmacia. <laughs> and made me doubting again, me and my faith, you know. What shall I do? <laughs> but God already had done it. But still the struggle inside my heart. Because being a doctor and being, being a responsible father. But he was completely healed. That was a breakthrough in my, in my quest for healing by Jesus Christ. You know, and the next thing, then things started happening. Not, not all the time at the same time because I was just normal working as a doctor, but gradually I saw miracles after miracle after miracle. I saw quite some people being healed from psychiatric diseases. Unbelievable things I saw. People from depression, being being released from depression. People with anxiety disorders, being released from anxiety through the perfect compassion of God. Even people with personality disorders. You cannot, because in science we say that's impossible. You can never heal from a character disorder. But I saw it. Yeah, I could write a book about that. Actually, I wrote books about that. But um, it's too long to talk a long time about all the testimonies. But I want to give you one or two testimonies because it's good to tell them, to share them. One of the testimonies is is the healing of a young man with leukemia. He was 14 years old, and he was uh, given up by his hematologist, his specialist. The doctor called me in my office. He said, "Uh, hello, Dr. Rice, I want to talk to you about the the very... world." the uh, difficult prognosis we have with this with this boy. We have done everything. Bone transplant, everything. They had every sort of, but he's still um, getting worse and worse, and he, has, he needs um, blood transfusions every week. We cannot go on like this. And I thought, well, I mean, for a doctor to help a family with a dying child is one of the, the most severe things that you can that happens in a doctor's life. That's what I believe. It's, 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 it crushes you to, to do that, to walk with the father and the mother that goes through such severe suffering. And I knew that was ahead in front of me now, after this phone call. How do I prepare myself as a doctor? So I went to the, um, I thought, well, let me go to the hospital where the boy is now because I need to be close to the family to be able to, to carry this load with them. So I went there one day, I think the next uh, few days later, and I walked into the room where this little, this young boy was. He was laying on his bed and I was, uh, his father was sitting on, his, uh, on the side of his bed and his mother was sitting in the corner of the room. It's one of those quarantine boxes, you know, that you go there in with uh, blue caps and blue socks and so on. So I was there. Mom says, doctor, I still think God can do something. That's what she said. Out of the loving mother's mouth spoke loving words of faith. Because love always had faith. That's in the Bible. Love always believes. Then the, the father I looked at and he started crying in front of me. And he said, oh, I, I, he was so miserable. Actually, I felt more like the father than like the mother at that moment. So I tried to connect to the young man, but he was all in his own thinking. I could not really communicate with him. So after 20 minutes, I decided I now have to go. Seeing you next week. And then we will organize everything for your son. To come home and to die. I didn't say that, but I realized that was happening. Now the father, when I picked up my coat, says, "Doctor." Peter, can you please pray for our son? And my inner response was, of course I will pray, but I do not know what to pray. Because I do not feel any, any um, certainty in my spirit that God will answer my prayer. Actually, I was prepared to help the dying process. And I said, yes, I will pray. So I, I stepped to the bed and I had my eyes open like now and suddenly on the other side of the bed I saw Jesus standing there. So I was standing here. Here was the young boy and the Lord was standing on the other side. I just looked Jesus in the face. In, my prayer, in the back of my mind it said, oh, he's coming to get him home. I didn't know that, but that was in my mind. So my prayer went like this: Jesus, you are here. The Father asked you to heal His son. That's my prayer. And I went home from that sick, sick uh, people room. And while I was driving up to the town that I, I live, the, uh, the words that of this prayer kept ringing in my, heart, in my mind. Jesus, the Father, asked you to heal his son. Before I was driving into the city, that was ten minutes later, I was hearing God speaking to God in my, in my spirit. Have you ever had that? I never had that in my whole life. I never had it since. But I was just observing and a communication in the heavenlies between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Father asked you to heal the Son. Whew! Never thought that could happen. Two days later, the specialist phoned me. I have a good report of this boy, because we had to give him transfusions every week, but now his blood is stable. And um, we will, um, he will go to rehabilitation, and we will send him home. So finally the boy came home, and God had touched him. God, three young God had moved in this man, and I was just witnessing what happened. Like John the Apostle witnessed what Jesus was doing on the cross, how the triune God per, per, uh, did this eternal heart operation on the cross to release us from sin and sickness. That's what happened. That's why the Apostles wrote this letter So when I pray for people, usually I don't pray a lot in my practice because it's not my, because I'm not a pastor. I'm the, I'm the doctor, right? But while, when I walk around and meet people and people come from prayer, I never go away from the cross. I always bring them to the cross. For example, when a person with cancer comes to me, as an example. I do actually a few things, but I say in prayer, in in the fellowship with the Holy Spirit in me. Thank you, Father, that you in Jesus Christ arrested the power of this cancer spirit on the cross. That from now on, this spirit, I proclaim that, has been arrested in Jesus, in his body on the cross. And Jesus has said, it is finished. It is f- fulfilled. And then I speak to the death spirit or the cancer spirit, and I, I rebuke it, and I say, now you go, because Jesus has already died on the cross. It's a fact. It is written, Jesus had died for the sins and the sickness of the, of our, of the, of the world. That's it, that's all I do. I walk with the cross in the ministry on a daily basis. The only thing that I do is bringing people to the cross with their sins, with their needs, with their anxiety, with their fear, and their sickness, whatever they have. Young people, old people, Gonarthrosis, bones. I was in Malaysia. You know, when you do a ministry in mission, people try, tend to bring you to, uh, to people at homes because they know that you have a ministry. And then they, before you just, they bring you there. Oh, let's stop at that house because there is somebody with need. So I was walking into that house. And it was only a few months ago. And this man was there sitting, and he, he couldn't walk because he had uh, his, he had a tru- he had a trauma with his uh, ankle so I thought well, so what's happening yeah. here? and it appeared that he had made a photo, so he came with a, f- a, 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 radi- a radiology photo, and I saw the fractured bone so norm well as a doctor I said, well that's the doubleness in my life i said now let's put a cost on his ankle and and refigure it right because you should do that otherwise you will be uh, uh lumbering around for the rest of your life but as, as, a, as a as a saint as a minister of the gospel my mouth speaks other words so i shared about a shared This man was about the cross. And I said, do you believe that if you hang on to Christ, that he can heal your bone? And he said, yes, I believe. And I said, okay, now in the name of Christ, then walk up, wake up, stand up and walk. To say such things is not something that you just do out of, out of, of nonchalance. Eh? But you do it out of compassion. Uh, about is love working in you. And I said it anyway. And he did. So he walked around the room and the pain was gone. Now that's trickier, eh? Because I know that in times of prayer, people are relieved of pain anyway. While there nothing happened actually. I'm very curious, careful about that. Okay, so, uh, maybe a new photo would be good, huh? Anyway, I, I, I kept in contact with the, the pastor and I asked him now after a week, well now tell me what happened to the man's leg and it appeared that he really was healed. So that was a testimony that it was really God doing that. Completely unexpected. Like in the Bible, so, that is an example that if you, you and me, we all are in that the same, we can all walk close to the cross and do the same, uh, like I shared, and God can do miracles in our midst. That's what I believe. God knows you, God knows your thoughts, your imagination, your expectations, your doubts, your disappointments, He knows your spirit, He knows your soul, your the things that you have been gone through in your life, the traumas you have been gone through. He knows all the rooms in your heart where sounds of the past are hidden, of crying and anger and things that were in your were in your life. He knows that. There's a whole area in our soul that we don't know we don't know anymore because we have hidden it. But God knows it. He knows it. He knows you. And the good message of the gospel is that God knows you, but He loves you. He likes you how you look, He likes your voice, He likes the, uh, your, 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 the way you laugh, He likes to, um, the way you walk, your movement. He likes you. In fact, I believe that God is in romance with all people. Now, you're talking too much, Brother Peter. I, I believe so. He, is, he, he likes you. The perfect love of God is not only uh, something that we see on the cross manifested. But the perfect love of God is also that what we sense when we meet the risen Christ, his empathy, his, his tenderness. You know? Because when I healed, well, God healed, but when we together were involved in the healing of my son, you know what I did? I put him on my lap, and I, <laughs> I almost killed him, you know? And that is what God is doing. God is not only giving his son as a, as, a, as, a, as a perfect offer for you and me to have an entrance into heaven. But he really comes into the, the whatever he created inside of you and he starts loving you in a very tender way. Perfect love is agape love plus filio love. It's the the togetherness of those two things. We have to know that. Sometimes I pray for people and I rebuke the devil. Sometimes I do it in silence because I do not want that people hear what I say. Not to fear them. And then I hug them to life. I just hug them to life. Like the father hugs me. I hug the people to life. Because the most precious thing in church is that we have a definite foundation that sin power has been removed. But the power of Christ is here to fill us with new life. New life. I have to think, well, you must be very close to, uh, to, uh, to in the ministry to, to receive those things, but that's not so. Because sometimes people uh, come for other people for prayer that I never will see in my life, and you will never see people come to you, and then you don't ever, but there is no distance in the Spirit. These are things that happen. I was in Papua one day, preaching in, uh, in Abepura, one of the, the, the chief towns. And at the ministry time, I got a word of revelation in my, in my mind, in my heart, that there were moms in that room that had sick children at home that could not be brought to the meeting. So I announced what I hear. Because you always speak what you hear, right? So two moms came to the front. So I took my bottle of oil, put it on their hands, go. After returning to the city, making a roundabout, visiting villages, preaching and preaching, this young woman comes to me. She had her daughter with her. And she was one of the moms, and she said, well, my daughter was sick at home and for a long time, and she was on the bed. So after that meeting, I came back with my hands still fat from the oil, and I put my hands on my daughter, like you said that I should have done. And that night, the, the, the girl testified that an angel visited her in her room. And she was healed the next morning. Now you think, well, now, now you come into areas. But this is a fact. It's just a testimony of what happens in the ministry. We don't have to... I think, like Watchman Nee says in his books, this is the normal life of the Christian. You don't have to be a special Christian. It's the normal life of the Christian. To walk with God, to walk with the the cross in your spirit, and to see the gift of the Spirit. This whole weekend is about that, actually. It is just the beginning. But I believe that is what God is doing here, also here in this place. You know how many people have a post-traumatic stress syndrome. I think this is one of the uh, the most common diagnoses in my uh, in my medical uh, system. So many times I was just seeing people, and then I very gently asked God to enter into the trauma of that person. Swipping the heart from the memories. Comforting the person. Seeing a little child that was hidden behind all the f- violence and the things that went through coming to life again in the person. So that she could start believing as a child could believe. Stress, we all stress. Are we stressed in England? I was hearing everybody speaks about the Brexit and all the things that will happen there. Maybe today I came here to pray for your hearts, for the PTSS that will happen next week. (laughs) I do have a prophecy on that, actually. Because I've been praying for this place, not only for the nation, but I believe that God's favor is going to be on England. Well, you can say, well, that's easy to say. eh? Look what we're doing. But I really believe that. I really believe that you are, like we would say in Holland, the apple of his eye. That's really what I think, that he says in my heart. So, I want to encourage you for your coming PTSS syndrome on the Brexit. Don't worry, but that's also what your chief prime minister, prime minister says. But I speak from the heart of my prayer life. That's quite different from the politic. Eh? I'm not a politician. I really believe that. I really believe that. I really want to pronounce that in the, in the spirit right now because it's important to do that that this nation will see new factories come, new brands come, new, new trade routes come, that there will be a, a, a restoration of economic situation. I really believe that. I see it in my spirit. If I pray for you, I do it. I believe that. The same faith that helps me to, to heal a sick person in Christ's name It's the same faith that lets me see what's happening. That's the same, same spirit, the same gift. So the next year you may be cross on me that uh, I'm glad that I said it, that I proclaimed that there is a good future. That although you may see the poverty or whatever things that happen, I think it will be good. Is it okay that I just share that? I could have not done it, and then I would have saved my life. (laughs) But in the midst of this meeting, I would like to say that. Saying that, it's time to to have ministry time. Okay? And um, I would like to remove this thing. Let's, let's just close our eyes. Jesus said, when I am raised up, speaking about this crucifixion, I will pull all people towards me. Jesus said, come, Come to me, all that I haven't laden, and I will give you rest. And people came. And I pray that you also come tonight. Because the message of the cross is final. And it's spoken in this gathering to help you to get healed, to get delivered, and to get saved. I want you to come, because the Bible says come. Don't come to me, but come to the cross. I I will open up the, um, what is this? Well, it's not an altar, but this place. And if you sense, I want to come, and you can come with everything that you have, like issues in your uh, heart, sin, sickness, or anything, Not all at the same time, but please come. And I will have the opportunity then just to stand close to you and wait upon God what he says to me and I will pray for you. Like I just talked how I did it. Shall we do that? Is it okay? Yeah? So everybody is free to come, if you want to come. And maybe we'll we'll do it in an atmosphere of worship, right? Hallelujah.